1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to My Millennial Money Professional. My name's Dev Raga, and I'm your host. And in this episode, we will discuss the concept of income per unit time and income per unit effort. These two principles in personal finance don't really exist, but I use them in my own FR journey, and I teach them to people that I talk to about money. It really does open your eyes to another perspective of income generation. So if you've never heard of these concepts before, that's probably because it's unique to Devraga. Let's get started. If you want me to discuss a specific topic, or if you have a specific question, don't hesitate to contact me via Twitter or via Facebook. And for those of you that are new to the channel, remember the three main aims, education, empowerment and entertainment. Now to the main topic, what is income per unit time? When you Google this term, almost always you will get a lot of definitions called average revenue per unit or profit per unit. It all relates to business finance. There isn't much, if anything at all, about personal finance in this concept. When you think about it, personal finance is not at all that dissimilar. You're a corporation. You are the CEO of the corporation, and your aim is to produce income and maximise it. And you've got to make sure you make a profit, after all of your expenses. Except in business, your profit is after all the outgoings. But what usually recommended in personal finance for me is, you've got to pay yourself first. That is, you've got to take a set portion of your income, regardless of your outgoings. And you've got to pay that money to yourself. So in that way, personal finance does defer to business finance, and that's why it's personal. But the fundamental concept is still very, very similar. Incomings, outgoings savings, and investments. Now, this is assuming you don't have any consumer debt. So when it comes to income per unit time, basically, it's important to calculate what it is for yourself. Now, I've discussed this income per unit time concept in one of my earlier episodes very, very briefly, and I forget which one because I think I might have discussed it in relation to another main topic. And usually when I say income per unit time, technically, it can be any per unit time, but usually it's easier to calculate your hourly income. To highlight this principle, it's easier to use an example. Amy is a nurse who's 41 years old and is currently working full-time in the emergency department. She has two children at school age. She's currently on about $45 per hour standard rates, and she gets shift penalties and allowances on top of that. She works eight-hour days with the usual occasional overtime. During the average week, Amy works four shifts per week, three of which are normal weekdays, one of which are weekend shifts. Now, I'm not sure what the nursing EBA states in other states are, but in Victoria, nurses, I think, get paid about 50% penalties between Friday midnight and Sunday midnight. Now, I could be completely wrong, but the 50% penalty is not the main point, but the point about this is to calculate your income per unit time, so bear with me. Now, if it is 50% or any penalties, I think it's actually unfair for the nurse because if they work Sunday night, they're getting docked the penalty rate as it drags into Monday morning. Now, for those of you that have done night shifts, we all know if you work a Sunday night shift and finish Monday morning, your Monday is kind of ruined and your Sunday is also kind of ruined. So I think the ANMF needs to do a bit better to negotiate this element of the RBA. Now, if I'm completely wrong, then ignore what I've just said. Nonetheless, back to the scenario about Amy. So what is her income per unit time for the average week? So if she does three shifts at eight hours, that's $1,080. And if she does one shift at eight hour penalty rates, that's an extra $540. Not including super and other allowances, the average income per unit time increases from $45 an hour to $50.62 an hour. Now, Amy did night shifts, for example, and longer shifts, you will note her average income per unit time will go up. Why is knowing your income per unit time so important? Now, once you've calculated your income per unit time, you can review that situation quite easily. Questions to ask yourself would be, are you happy with this income per unit time? Is there anything you could do to improve it? Do you need this income per unit time to be higher or lower? How long can you achieve this in the long term? Is it actually sustainable? For example, let's use a different situation. Supposing Amy is now a 24-year-old nurse, and she's also working in the emergency department. She's not in a relationship, doesn't have any children, is single, and she's really keen to learn more nursing and is really keen to see some more and more pathology. She's done her additional critical care course, so she's able to look after resus cubicle patients and potentially also work in other areas of the hospital. For non-healthcare workers, usually when nurses graduate, they need to do additional training depending on their specialty of interest in order to work in certain areas like ED, ICU, diabetic education, opioid addiction, wound management, HITH or district nursing. So in this case, Amy's hourly rate might be a bit lower because she's younger, she's junior, so it might only be $35 per hour. She also does the same four shifts per week, but because Amy is keen to learn and doesn't have any dependents and encumbrances, she's happy to put her hand up for extra work, such as overtime, night shifts, and weekend penalty rates. We all know in healthcare, ED, and generally the public hospital system, and private, is struggling to fill shifts. So Amy now has a lot of overtime and does one extra shift per week of overtime consistently. Let's calculate her income per unit time. With three shifts at a normal rate, it's going to be about $840. And with one shift with penalty rates, it's going to be about $420. And one shift at overtime rates every week, which is 1.5 times the first two hours, then double time, if done between Monday and Friday, let's assume she does, that's $525 extra. Excluding super, all the other penalties and meal allowances, Amy's income per unit time changes if she chooses to do an extra shift. So now, instead of having an average income per unit time of $35 an hour, Amy has bumped it up to $44.52 an hour. That is, from $35 an hour, she's boosted it to $44.52. Granted, she's done extra hours. That's a 27% increase in wage. In other words, no matter what investment Amy did with the money she earned she's unlikely to consistently get 27% returns on her effort. Whereas training as a nurse and just utilising the knowledge of income per unit time, she's boosted her income significantly on a per unit time basis. Now again, when I say per unit time, I'm usually talking about per hour, but you can change it to whatever you prefer per session, per shift, per day, per week, whatever. But it's just easier to come to a very simplistic calculation from a per unit hour. Now, let's build on that. Suppose in the previous two scenarios, both Amy's had investment portfolios, which also gave them dividends. Then that's passive income. Now, I would be adding that income to the original income per unit time calculation. Why? Even if they're reinvesting it, it's important to think about the broader picture here, and that is Amy is likely to one day retire and live off those dividends and are essentially replacing her income, earned income, to unearned income like dividends, but during her working life, she can utilize her skill and earn an income and also utilize her investment knowledge to get dividends, which is unearned. Now, why is this relevant? It's relevant because you want to make sure you earn the highest income per unit time as best as possible. And of course, part of that calculation should also include what you value your time as. What this means is, suppose Amy needed a cleaner for a home, or a gardener, or perhaps went out to spend some money, such as movies, restaurants, other miscellaneous expenses. She can directly correlate it to her income per unit time. For example, paying a cleaner forty bucks an hour when Amy's income per unit time is forty-four dollars and fifty-two cents. The original Amy, well, it might be just worth it if she's worked out a one-to-one ratio. Granted, that one's potentially after tax and the one's potentially pre-tax perhaps going on a holiday, which is going to cost $1,500 after tax, assuming a tax rate of 30%, means gross expenditure of $21, $2,142, beg your pardon. And this means Amy would need to work 48 hours to achieve this. The where the value really comes is when people utilize these concepts and do work, which is the most financially rewarding. Remember, money doesn't have emotion. And I can already sense people saying stuff like, oh, but Amy doesn't have a life if she works overtime," And Blah, blah, blah. Well, that's a personal decision which Amy will need to take into account before embarking on this journey. I'm just here to spit the facts. Hopefully, this clarifies income per unit time. The businesses use average revenue per unit sales or average profit per unit sales where they try and maximize their profits. For example, for airline companies, premium economy seats make the most money, 33% profitable, whereas business only make 5%. So when airlines are currently ordering aircraft and fitting them out, they're realising premium economy and economy, Qatar has this, make them loads of money. Business makes them some money. And first class, a lot of airlines are actually losing money on this. It's not profitable. And they're consciously removing first class seats. I know a lot of people refer to Emirates as they still have plenty of first class seats on their A380s. But as the A380s become more and more inefficient compared to newer models like the Boeing 777 or the Airbus A350, first class is going to die out. So that's income per unit time. And very briefly, revenue per unit time or sales or profit, whatever you want to call it. Now let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we will tie this in with the next concept, which is also very unique to Devraga. You've heard it here first, and that's called income per unit effort. Be right back. about income per unit time. Basically, we want to make sure for the time we work, we maximize the income as much as possible. Now, if you're a healthcare worker, you want to be able to think about it like that. If you're any worker, you want to be able to think about it like that because why would we spend time earning less money rather than maximizing the income per unit time? Again, I'm leaving emotion out of it. I'm here to give you the facts. For some professions, this is a lot easier than others, particularly in the healthcare industry. We are lucky in healthcare as we're one of the few professions which can be open 24-7, the fire department, the police force, the AV force, ambulance Victoria or in your state. This means working after hours or night shifts or weekends means the time is valued a lot more than usual. Many of the manufacturers out there are open 24-7, so if you're working on the plant manufacturing sector, you've got a lot of opportunity to make money. Having said that, if that is not possible, there are some other ways to maximise it. If your industry is not open after hours or not open on weekends, is it a great opportunity to start a business which interests you? Is it a great opportunity to move towards a 24-7 industry? Or is it a great opportunity to perhaps find that second job or do a side hustle that meets your financial goals? Now, this all depends on your personal circumstances And I'm not suggesting constantly working 24-7. There has to be a lifestyle balance as well. And also, these strategies are not suitable for people who have other commitments like small children, illness in the family, or may have some disabilities. So it may not work for everyone. The other concept which I've noticed more and more in the last five to six years of my life is this concept called income per unit effort. Now, I've done a lot of research on this everywhere, I can't actually find this concept officially documented on Google or any of the websites about money or finance. And I could be completely wrong. So if you find some concrete evidence of this, please reach out. So unless someone lets me know, I'm going to call this as unique to Dev Raga. You've heard for the first time ever this concept on this podcast. So what is income per unit effort? We know some jobs or professions or industries just pay more per time. We also know some jobs or professions or industries may require less effort than other jobs, but when it comes to some caveats, I was speaking to a medical registrar in recent times and during the conversation, it was very obvious to me that they have figured it out that some of their shifts are quieter than other shifts. Yet those shifts that are quieter are the highest paid. The caveat for this is those shifts were largely after hours and night shifts which they prefer. This way they can maximise their income per unit time but also maximise their income per unit effort. Double whammy. Let's use an example to highlight this concept. Dev, not me, is a medical registrar is taking some time off from their training to do a PhD. Now they're in cardiology training. Doing a PhD while working full-time or more than full-time in cardiology training can be quite tricky. So they decide to take some time off training to enable them to complete the PhD. And in some medical specialties, things like master's or PhD is an absolute must because otherwise you won't get a tertiary hospital job or there there isn't any real medical clout when you set up your private practice. And this for the non-doctors listening in. But of course, doing a PhD is one of those Biggest opportunity costs because you get paid nothing and you miss out on earning an income during that time, which means investing takes a big hit. To avoid this, Dev thinks about doing some locum jobs while doing their PhD. They're interested in medical registrar positions where either they can do some work during the shift with respect to their PhD or get some rest as they can still maintain a daytime job. So when it hunts for locum jobs, they avoid the major metro city hospitals and focus on the outer regional hubs and rural hospital networks. In this way, medical admissions are more scarcer, if not non-existent, after 11pm. And it also means they've done their responsibilities and they've done their ward cover and there has few hours every shift to either get some of the rest or do some extra work. In this case, they're going to use that time to try and perhaps do some PhD work. Now, they have worked out those shifts which are after hours or night hours are the ones which also pay the most. Now, you've got to be a bit careful because when you're getting paid by hospital, you need to make sure you're ready and available to do work. So I'm not suggesting bringing homework for your own work to do. You've got to do it during downtime. So you may have finished all their policies or you may have reviewed all the results. You may have reviewed all the patients. and You've literally got nothing to do. Either you can sleep, which is terrible, and you shouldn't do that, or you can do some work that's going to benefit you in your career. So isn't income per unit effort very subjective then? Well, in life, there's always pros and cons of doing everything. In the medical registrar, for example, the registrar has a clear goal. They want to become a cardiologist. They need to do a PhD for that, and we know a PhD is low-paying, so they need a source of income. Their eye on the prize is a PhD. So they need to maximise their income per unit time and minimise their effort whilst doing so. So they've concluded one of the ways they're going to achieve this is by doing some extra locum work, which helps pay the bills while still focusing on their eye on the prize. Now remember, they may come back to that health service once they become a cardiologist as a consultant. So there's always reciprocal benefits. It benefits the registrar, it benefits the health service, and most importantly, it may also benefit the patients. Now, there are many medical examples where healthcare professionals may choose certain specialties, and this includes allied health, etc. They may choose certain procedures, which helps their job satisfaction, but also pays well. Ideally, we would do what we love always, even if it doesn't pay well. That's the ultimate FI dream, right? But it's unrealistic to think about it this way. So take a look at things around you and see how you can use the principles of income per unit time or income per unit effort to maximise your FI journey. Now, that's about it for this episode. Remember to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you may be using, or leave a five-star review on all of the platform. That's even better. And please leave a positive review. Think about income per unit time and income per unit effort and try and help your health network out, do some extra work, provide a service, benefit yourself, but also benefit the patients, benefit your colleagues, benefit the health network. And hopefully you'll come back and work in the same health network that's given you the opportunity to locum. The more ratings and reviews you leave, the more people who get access to the podcast. So please keep them coming. My name's Dev Raga, and this is My Millennium Money Professional. And until next time, please make sure you stay safe.
0: We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorised representatives of MoneySherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451 289.